Good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you want to grab a seat, that would be fantastic. Good morning, Ingrid. Um, Grace stole all the thunder today. Happy summer. Like, I don't know what happened, but a switch got turned on Thursday. It was like literally a switch from gloomy, rainy, wet weather to suddenly uh, temperature and beauty. And uh, nobody is allowed to complain about the heat, okay? <laughs> you know, you just can't do it. Unless you didn't complain about the cold and the rain, you can't complain about the heat now. That's, that's there, there's the, the rule. Um, Congratulations to Liz. She got her master's, did you not? Stand up, stand up. Liz, we're so proud of you. Congratulations, that's awesome. Wow, so good. Um, it, those of you, it, again, we're just really grateful. If you look around, it's just so nice to kind of have a reunion in the summer and to reconnect, and um, I, I love this. Um, all kinds of good things are happening, as Grace told us this morning, about how we can stay connected through the summer, and uh, it's important. Um, a friend of mine once said to me, you know, the devil does not take a vacation in the summer. <laughs> and, and so we absolutely need to stay connected to Jesus, and one of the ways we stay connected to Jesus, in fact, I would say it's one of the very primary ways we stay connected to Jesus, is by staying connected to his family and his church. And so I want to encourage you to do what you can to stay connected. Maybe your life group is not meeting over the summer, so just make it a discipline that you're going to show up every Wednesday. I think there's only one Wednesday where you don't have anything happening, first Wednesday of August. But the rest of the Wednesdays in the summer, we've got something happening here on Wednesday nights. It's going to be good. And then every Sunday morning, we're going to have just pre-service prayer. We've been doing this anyway for a long time, but we just want to invite everybody to come. Those, those are just really special times, kind of like, it feels like priming the pump. I mean, I, uh, I get pretty jazzed, and so that by the time we're singing in here, I've already been ready to sing because we've been praying. And so if you want to join us, no pressure, 20 minutes, we're in the West Hall every Sunday through the summer, and you can join us and pray if you'd like to. It's really, really good. Also really excited about next Sunday. Um, we are... Uh, our elders have been praying and felt like it would be an important day for us to actually hold a healing prayer time. And so we're going to have some opportunity for confession, uh, to share communion together. We're going to hear an amazing testimony from Caleb. It's going to be so good. And uh, along with that, an opportunity for you to be prayed for by our prayer team and our elders and uh, even maybe confess some sin, as Scripture says, and you will be healed. And so we're really looking forward to next Sunday. It's going to be a I think, a special ministry time. And so I'd, I'd invite you to be praying into that this week and come prepared. It's going to be really, really good. Does that sound all right? Well, we're starting a new sun, uh, series today that will take us through most of the summer. In math, in the fall, we'll get back into the gospel according to Matthew eventually. But for now, uh, in the meantime, our new series is called Think About It. You know, throughout Scripture, we are often invited to think about something or to consider something, or to reflect, or pay attention. For example, Jesus tells us in Luke 8 to think carefully, consider carefully how you listen. And in Luke 12, Jesus says, consider the birds, uh, consider the, the flowers of the field, uh, learn from them. In, in Hebrews, we're invited 
in, in chapter 3 to think about Jesus. Consider Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians invites us to consider our calling. The author of Proverbs asks us, surprisingly, to think about the ant, <laughs> like the bugs, about their work habits and their planning and so forth. And we're going to look at some of those this summer. The fact, I, I think, that Scripture invites us to think is kind of a good news thing. It's, it reminds us this amazing gift God has given us. He's given us a mind. Turn to your neighbor just quickly and say, you have a mind. Some of you look shocked. Some of you just look like really surprised. It was like, really? I never knew that. Um, so good. We have a mind. We have a brain that helps us make sense of our senses. We have a, a mind that helps us process data to, to pay attention to, to life around us, that helps us make decisions and choices, and, and that is, uh, is helps us just to respond to all the matters of our lives. Our minds are just incredible gifts from God. They, they come with all this creativity and imagination. Can you imagine what life would be without imagination? I'm asking you to imagine right now. Did you do that? Come on. Join with me, folks. And amazingly, our minds are part of God's recovery plan for us. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and when you do that, when, when your mind is transformed, you'll be able to test and discern what is good and what's right, what's perfect. You'll be able to make the right sense of life. So as we dive into a bunch of scriptures this summer, our, our hope and our prayer is that God would use them to renew us. Anyone need some renewing right now in their life? Anyone at all? Yeah. Why don't we pause? Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that when we gather together, you're in the middle of us. You're right in the middle of this room. You're not absent, just the spectator. You're wanting to speak today. And you, you use your word, your scripture to, to lead us to the word who is Jesus. Open our hearts. Remove all the obstacles. Help us hear. Help us see. So that we might truly live. We pray these things. Meet us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to uh, start our theme today by talking about fear. I, I titled the message, uh, Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid. <laughs> it's actually a line from a 1986 film called The Fly, which is pretty much the last horror film that I ever saw. I, I don't love horror films at all. Maybe some of you do, but... Um, this, there was a scene in it that was so scary that the guy, this big, big man who was sitting beside me, literally leapt into my lap screaming. <laughs> Maybe that's why I actually don't watch horror movies anymore. That was a horror show just with him there. But here's the thing. I, I don't need to tell most of you to be afraid, be very afraid. Why? You've got that one down. <laughs> You've got that ground covered, you know? Most of us, I suspect, are living with kind of some low-level fear all the time. Some of us have greater struggles with anxiety and fear that are just plaguing us always. For many of us, fear is our nemesis, our kind of long and enduring enemy in our lives. 
It seems as if just about everyone has something that they're regularly afraid of. Well, our primary text is from Proverbs, and it talks about considering a different type of fear. And we have that, when we have this kind of fear, it liberates us or frees us from all those other fears. It's a very, I, I hope it's a very good news message today. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, honestly, I'd rather talk to you about the love of Jesus than having the fear of God. I'd, I'd much rather assure you with the verse in 1 John that says, perfect love casts out fear than to tell you that you need to be afraid of God to gain wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And those aren't the only two verses in Scripture that, that seem to be contradictory on, on fear. There are many verses that say, fear the Lord, and, and then there's many others that say, don't be afraid. What do we do with that? To be honest, I, I was afraid of God for a long, long time when I was growing up, and I don't think it led me to wisdom. It, what it did was it actually helped me to keep God at arm's length in my life. So what does it mean? How do we reconcile the fear of God with that, that kind of perfect love that casts out fear? I mean, didn't Jesus come so that we wouldn't fear God anymore? I, I think we can begin to, to understand this tension when we realize that fear in Scripture can be interpreted in at least two different ways. The first meaning of fear in Scripture can be terror. Terror is the kind of fear we think of, uh, I think, most often. I, I'm a confession here. I'm a little claustrophobic. Okay, I'm a lot claustrophobic. Maybe it's because I'm a big guy, and so small spaces are something I'm a little afraid of. It could be that elevator experience I had when I was a kid where I got, anyway, I'm not going to tell you why. That's for my therapist, but I'm praying God would heal me. Many, many of us are, are afraid of trouble. We're afraid of hardship. We're afraid of sickness. We've been, a lot of us have been afraid of sickness these last couple of years. We're afraid of spiders. We're afraid of snakes. Those are kind of traditional fearsome things. That's, that's the first meaning of fear, kind of terror. But uh, there's the second kind of fear, that the meaning carries this idea of awe or reverence. Awe or reverence has a different effect than our regular terror fear. It draws out love and worship. And this is the meaning of the, the word fear in the proverb. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It could well read, the awe and reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That kind of fear of God, the, the kind that inspires awe and reverence, is not something limited to the Old Testament. It's all throughout the New. Paul warns the Roman Christians, do not become proud but stand in awe of God. Luke, in the book of Acts, tells the church that it was built up and multiplied by walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I love that pairing. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation, John tells us, fear God and give him glory and worship him. In Hebrews, we read, we're to worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. These are just a few of the many New Testament verses about fearing God. I really like how author Sarah Maitland talks about this. She writes, The spell check program on my computer does not care for the word sacred. 
Sacred just mean, meaning uh, is a word that means connected to God, things of God. She said, every time I wrote this word in my program, it wanted to change the word sacred to the word scared. I know that feeling. I have it. Everyone in the Bible has it, she says. They are always sore afraid when they encounter the sacred. The Ark of the Covenant, the burning bush, the angelic messenger, the the dream from God. There is a, a fear and a respect. The proper word, she says, is awe. The sacred is awe-full. It's full of awe. Since the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, there is nothing much wrong. Indeed, there is rather a lot right with this feeling, with reminding ourselves of the grandeur, the otherness of God, along with the tenderness and generosity. Sometimes I can forget that word awe in my walk with God. I lose that awe factor. And it can happen just in in life, too. We can get pretty sort of blasé about the world around us. Ask yourself, when was the last time that you were awed by someone or something? Just think about that for a second. I wonder if you ever walked into a a grove of Douglas firs. You know, every uh, time we go to the West Coast and we're heading over to to Tofino or Euclid, we stop at that great little forest grove called Cathedral Grove. Anyone know that? And the trees there are, are magnificent, and uh, they're these old-growth Douglas firs. And it's a tourist attraction. Tons of tourists stop on their way there, and there's always crowds. And it's fascinating to me. They'll be, they'll be walking and talking and chatting away, and suddenly they get into the woods, and everything goes quiet. Like everyone just stops talking. You know, they look up spontaneously with no prompting. You look up and you think, that's a tree. That's, this is a tree. It's so much bigger than I ever thought a tree could ever be. The awe comes because everything you think of about tree pales in comparison to the tree you're now looking at. These trees, they trump all other trees. And, and if it's the first time you've ever seen one, all you can say is, wow. It's gloriously more magnificent than, than anything you could ever thought possible. That's who God is for us. God is gloriously more magnificent than we ever could think possible. But here's the thing. Sometimes we forget in whose presence we sit when we come to worship. We're tired we get kind of narrow in our thinking and in our ways. We get, uh, you know, preoccupied with everything. I think we mostly get preoccupied with ourselves. You know, I, I, that's been my life, my whole life. I've been doing that my whole life. I just can't seem to get over myself. You know, I worry when I get up here, I, I worry on a Sunday morning if I'm going to mess up when I'm here. I, I'm afraid that I'm going to go, uh, you know, just on and on and bore you and put you to sleep. I'm concerned about tomorrow, or I'm distracted about whether it's too hot or too cold. Um, I'm thinking about what we're going to eat after the service. I think that sometimes. And guess what? I can miss the awe, the the awareness of the mystery and grandeur of, of the one in whom I live and breathe and have my very being. I think in our day, a real temptation is that we can kind of get chummy with Jesus 
And, and that's okay up to a point as long as we don't shrink Jesus down. As long as we don't bring Jesus kind of down to our level and make him too small. You see, God is much more than kind of a cosmic teddy bear. I mean, there's a certain amount of comfort you can get from a teddy bear, but you know what you can't do to a teddy bear? You can't trust a teddy bear. They're not going to help you out in a pinch. <laughs> They're not going to see you through trouble. And that's just not who God is. He's so much more than a teddy bear. God is alive. There is a power. There's a fire. There's a zeal to God. There is a, a passion for his people, a, a vastness to his mercy. There's a crucifixion strength to his love. There's a pursuing relentlessness for those who are, are lost that is so big, so vast, it'll boggle your mind if you take time to think about it. In, in our desire to make God friendly and accessible in our day, which God is in Jesus, sometimes we may at time draw dangerously close to losing a sense of the mystery and awe and wonder of our God who is greater than we could ever imagine. A few years ago, the Wall Street Journal uh, were reporting on alternative styles of churches. And it featured a young man, guy trying one of these alternate churches. The report said, 29-year-old Chris Brooks recently tried out a Saturday evening service at a new church in Minneapolis. In that congregation, people flopped on couches and easy chairs instead of pews. And communion was changed to sharing of chocolate chip bread and juice. You'd think this would appeal to this 29-year-old man. But Chris Brooks returned to the more traditional church he grew up in, and he said, it's nice to be in a place where God is held in high esteem. Now I have to be honest here. It's one of my, I feel like, life goals to make God accessible in Jesus. I believe when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom and it's available, and it's here now, and, and there's no more veil between us and God. I mean, a way has been made for us to have a, a personal, intimate, one-to-one -one relationship with God through Jesus. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great? Uh, it, it's life-transforming, and, and I, I want to tell the world about that. I'd, I'd love to spend the rest of my days removing artificial barriers to that kind of connection to the living God. And... and but here's the thing. We can get casual about church and life together, and, and I think it's important in some senses to not take ourselves too seriously. I actually don't get too bent out of shape about chocolate chip bread and juice. I, I think whatever happens to be on hand is okay for communion. I think it's okay. Uh, so, someone a few weeks ago you know, said, your boys were wearing hats in church last Sunday. They shouldn't wear hats. That dishonors God. And I'm like, well, I don't think in, in the grand scheme of things, God's terribly concerned about their hats, you know. We used to have a saying here at Hillside that we were going to be a church that was casual about dress, but never casual about God. That's the tension. Let's major on, on the majors. And the major is God is a great God that is worth taking seriously. He is the object in your life that has to be dealt with. There's no avoiding it. I, I like the person who described and said that, that their vision for church was that it be a safe place for a dangerous message. I'd love Hillside to become that kind of church. We're a safe place. You're welcome here. 
But the gospel, it is so dangerous. God is still God. Now, in Scripture, there was a a reverence and awe that characterized the nature of the worship and the people of Israel, especially when they talked about their holy God. Do you know what the word holy means? It doesn't primarily mean pure or good. It means other, as in other than us. He is other. God's holy name or God's nature wasn't even to be spoken. God's name was too sacred to whisper, too awesome. In Judges, the, the angel who represented God says, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? Or the NIV puts it, why do you ask my name? It is beyond your understanding. My nature is beyond your comprehension. And all the words we have and all the labels for God can't contain the, the fullness of his being. God who inspires us to be awful, to be full of awe, doesn't do it because he's awful, but because God is so big in his goodness and so big in his mercy and so generous in his love for us, we can hardly believe it. And this awareness, when we get it, when it it gets into our brains and our minds and our hearts, it inspires awe. That's sometimes why when people meet Jesus for the first time, they cry for joy because God is so much better than they ever expected him to be. As one person told me who recently became a Christian, they said, it's too good not to be true. I was recently reading Exodus, and I read a line that just kind of struck me. It, it says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything that Yahweh, the Lord, had said to Moses. And he also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that Yahweh, when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They heard that God was a God who cared about injustice, cared about their suffering, and their response was, I'm going to worship. Overwhelmed by the kind of God they have. Friends, that's the kind of God we have. Let me remind you, you belong to a very, very big God, and God is for you, not against you. Now, this fear of God, this awareness of God's awesomeness has at least two implications for us that should impact how we live. First, because God is awesome, because God is a very big God, you need not be afraid. You don't, be, you don't need to be afraid. Folks, this is really good news. You can know today that whatever you're going through, whatever trial or difficulty or doubt or sadness or whatever you've done wrong or, or whatever relationship is, is causing you pain, whatever illness is, is getting you down, whatever financial problems are, are plaguing you, It doesn't matter what. Don't stand in awe of the problem. Don't let finite circumstances eclipse you of the wonder of the infinite one who is in your life, who's here right now. Instead, stand in awe of God who is so much bigger than the problem and hand it over to him and trust. This has just been kind of a a theme of the spring that our God is big. He's big enough for whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with. He's, He's bigger 
Friends, three things that God is big enough for. God, first of all, is big enough to handle the needs of your inner life, the needs of your soul, the needs that nobody else knows you have, the need to be affirmed in the deepest core of your being, the needs for for your healing and your wholeness in your interior, the need of your need to grow spiritually. Secondly, God is big enough to handle the needs in your outer life. He's big enough for your relationships, your finances, your family, your future, your marriage. And thirdly, God is big enough to handle the needs of the world, no matter how bad it seems. Ukraine, Afghanistan, a declining economy, uh, politics that just are so divisive pandemic, all those things, God is big enough for those. Oswald Chambers, the the writer uh, of the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, said this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. (laughs) Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Let me say that again. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Isn't that good news? Okay, we're going to just take a moment here. Uh, we got more to cover, just a bit. But I want you to just think about for a moment, maybe close your eyes, bow your head. What is your biggest anxiety right now that you're carrying? What's the thing that you get afraid of? What's the the biggest trouble or problem you have right now in your life? It might be small. It might seem like a giant to you. Just bring that before the Father. Say, God, I give you that. uh, Derwin's telling me that you're bigger than that that problem. I want to believe that. Help me, Lord. Just take a, a few moments to pray. God, you just uh, reminded me of that song, you are stronger, you are stronger, you're, you're greater than in anything we face, and so would you help us trust in you, and, and we give you the, these problems that seem so large, and I pray we might be in awe of you, and help us to have perspective that you are greater than our fear. Make it true, Lord, we pray. All right. Well, secondly, because God is awesome in his goodness and his greatness and in his love, one of the consequences of that is that we'll actually grow in our desire to please him. When you begin to taste his goodness, how how great he is, we grow in our desire to want to please him and become like him. In fact, This might actually be a sign that you fear God, that you grow in your desire to obey him, to submit to his commands, to adopt his ways, 
and to walk and be like him. Um, Jeff Bridges, in his classic book, Fearing God, he points out that more than 25% of the verses in Scripture that talk about fearing God link the fear of God to obeying God. For example, Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. While Psalm 11.21 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Hating evil and delighting in God's commands are both expressions of the fear of God. And then there's Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all humankind. Interesting, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, um, it's kind of like the hall of faith in Scripture. It, it goes over a number of people who are celebrated for their strong faith. Two women are celebrated who are midwives. They're celebrated for their courageous faith. Some of you remember in the time of Israel, slavery to Egypt, that Pharaoh ordered all the, the young boys, as soon as they were born, the midwives were to actually throw them into the river, actually to, to, to kill them on the spot at birth. But it says, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Talk about courage. And here's the, here's the thing. Those women feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. They, they, they did what was right. It, it's a powerful example to obey God rather than man, because frankly, it's so easy to fear man rather than God. Now, I, I do think that sometimes uh, we connect obeying God to the fear he'll punish us if we disobey. But I actually don't think that's the biggest deal in our day. You know, years ago, I heard a, a helpful definition of sin. Sin is living as if God does not exist. Sin is living as if God isn't relevant, that God doesn't matter. I think that's a real temptation in our day. It's a temptation to believe that, yeah, because really God doesn't matter, our lives don't matter, we can live or do anything we want and not worry about any kind of consequence. It's really thinking, a thinking that is saying that God really doesn't have any wisdom or or brilliance to offer towards how I live my life. Remember where we started today? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In, in other words, living you know, in light of God is trusting that in an obedient life is a, a better life. It's wisdom to follow God's ways. It's a better life to follow God's instruction to look for, to actually seek out his correction in our lives. This is why week after week, we come here and we sit under Scripture, wanting it to transform us. This is why week after week, we encourage you to make a, a daily practice of, of learning to nourish yourself on God's Word for yourselves, learning to either hear or read Scripture. Because God always, always, always has our best in mind. When we learn that lesson that God's way is best, it can be such a game changer for us. Trust that his way is better than yours. To be honest, some of us still, you, you hear that and you go, you can say, yeah, I believe that, but we can still, when, when the proof gets to the pudding, is, is that the saying? No, it's not. How does it go? When the rubber meets the road? What's that? The proof is in the pudding. Is that what it is? And Kay says the proof is in the eating. This did not go well at all, at all. 
Rubber meets the road is good. I'm going to stick with, I think. And I don't even really know what that means, except for, you know, what does it mean? Let's not go there. I, I, I think we can believe that God is wise, and we can even say his teachings are good. But in some senses, we can be hesitant to submitting our lives to God. We're asking the question really at the heart of hearts, is he really good? Can God really be trusted with my life? He's still God after all. I don't know what, he's gonna do, what he might ask. A few writers portray this as well as C.S. Lewis in his writing. Many of us really, really like the Narnia tales. The story of uh, Jill in the silver chair is a good example of, of his portrayal of the fear of God. Jill, this, uh, this little girl who's the central character, she develops a relationship with Aslan, the, the Lion of Narnia, who is the Lord. And the most tender, precious, close relationship of love kind of emerges between this little girl and Aslan. But first, Jill had to learn to fear the lion. And she encounters him first in, in the story at a stream where he's standing and, and he's huge and he's menacing and he's awesome. Let me read a bit. Are you thirsty? Asked the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? Asked Jill. The lion answered this with only a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at his motionless bulk, she realized she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move away for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not, not, not to do anything to me, Jill asked, if I come? I make no promises, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty that by now, without noticing it, she'd come a step closer. Do you, do you eat little girls? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women, men, kings, emperors, cities, and realms, said the lion. And he didn't say this as if he was boasting, nor as if it were as if he were sorry or as if it were angry. He just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step closer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that and her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she'd ever had to do, but she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she'd ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. In another Narnia story where the children find out that Aslan, the Lord, is a lion, they ask the question, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver responds with, of course he's not safe. Of course he's not safe. But he's good. And he's the king. Friends, that's our God. He's far more awesome than we could ever imagine. 
He's, he's far more gloriously magnificent than we could ever imagine him to be, than we could ever think possible. But he's good. And here's the thing. He's the one who can quench our thirsts. The thirsts and the longings that each of you have been carrying your whole life. You find you, you'll be longing, you'll be looking to all kinds of other things, but unless you find your thirst quenched in him, you're going to carry on being thirsty. He's what we're longing for. And just to end with some of these words, don't, don't settle for a life not centered in Jesus. Jesus deserves all your loyalty. He deserves all you can give him. And we don't know where he will lead us when we give him our lives. But we know we can trust him because he's good. In summary, we might say it this way. If you remember anything from this message, this would be enough. When you fear God... There is nothing to fear. Let's say it together, shall we? When when you fear God, there is nothing to fear. One more time. When you fear God, there is nothing to fear. The wisdom that we get from a fear of God is that we're submitted to the one who is so much greater than we are, and his ways are good, they're right, and they lead to life. Let's pray. Lord, I sense this morning that there's, there's someone in our midst here this morning who are like Jill and uh, who frankly have kept you kind of at a distance because they just don't know what to think of you, afraid of you. Can you be trusted? And uh, I sense you inviting us to actually put our faith in you today in a fresh way, asking them to, to say yes to you and to step into the mystery and the grandeur and the amazing awesomeness that is God. You welcome us, Lord. Teach us, I pray, to learn the fear of the Lord. Would you stun us again? Lord, we want to be awed by you. We're so easily distracted and turned aside, and I pray we might pause throughout moments of our days and our life and and look up and know that there is a God in heaven who is great and good and magnificent. Deserves our all. Just sense that there's some today that there's something that you're holding on to, and God wants you to surrender it to him today. You can do that right now. You can just say, God, I'm tired of holding on too tight to this thing. I surrender to you right now. I trust you. Help us, Lord, to live in the path of wisdom, we ask. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.